Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of GUcast. This is Declan Murphy, urologist here at Peter Mac. Uh, welcome back, Renew. How are you? Good morning, Declan. I love getting people up at our surgical time of 6am. Yes, 6am <laughs> is fine for us. We like getting up at 6am, but some of our guests, well, one of our guests doesn't normally get up at 6am <laughs> with the same enthusiasm, does she? Yeah, but she's here with the same enthusiasm. I know, so she certainly good. looks enthusiastic this morning. We'll get to her in a take. Um, and it's also great to welcome back into the studio friend of the podcast, uh, Professor Daniel Moon, a consultant urologist here at Peter Mac as well. Hello, Daniel. Good Good day. Renee. Wonderful to be back. <laughs> yes. Amazing setup now. We've got the video going as well. So um, yes. it's fully professional. Well done. That's right. Well, yeah. apparently that's the way to do your podcast now. It is. <laughs> it's hard, you know, it's hard enough to do the audio, but now everyone wants to watch you on YouTube as well, apparently. So um, yeah, so this is uh, on YouTube as well. Uh, just a bit of fun for us, but apparently people like that and it does give people an extra platform. So thank you to everybody for your comments on the YouTube site as well. Um, yeah, so uh, this morning we're going to talk about uh, the primary study, Daniel, isn't that right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's groundbreaking. I'm very excited to see it finally come to fruition. It's been years of work, particularly from um, Louise, who's um, one of our guests. I'll let you introduce Louise. Yeah, exactly. So that's our topic this morning. We're going to talk about the primary study, which was published in European Urology this week, led by uh, our friend and collaborator, uh, Professor Louise Emmett in Sydney. So let's go and welcome Louise um, back to GUcast. She's been on our webinars before. So it's great to have you back on GUcast, Louise. Uh, good morning in Sydney. Morning, Good Louise. Morning. And morning, and thanks so much for having me. Yes, and welcome back, uh, Professor Louise Emmett, nuclear medicine physician at St. Vincent's in Sydney. We collaborate a lot with Louise, and she's PI on the primary study and first author uh, of this paper, which we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, and also on our screen, for those of you watching on YouTube, it's another friend of the podcast, actually, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Professor Anwar Padani joining us from London. Um, it's evening time in London. Uh, Anwar, welcome back. <laughs> he's having he's, he's about to go to night bed. time Declan. night time <laughs> yeah. even oh gosh it is quite late thank you for indulging us um thank so, you very much for the invitation anwar padani a radiologist uh, specializing in oncology um, anwar is a big key opinion leader in mr and has a lot of interest in uh, psma pet ct his interest is in on urologic oncology but he's uh, very very well known for his uh, views in prostate cancer so it's great to have anwar uh, back on the podcast to talk about this interesting paper uh, primary and we'll put links as usual in the show notes and, and so on. But before we ask Louise to talk us through uh, the paper a little bit, I suppose uh, this topic is of interest to us, Renu, because we have a lot of enthusiasm yeah. for the role of MRI in early detection. This is an early detection population we're talking about, isn't it? That's right. I mean, we, we talk about how much we love talking about MRI and PSMA PET. Today we get to talk about both. That's true. You know, potentially taking precision medicine to another level. So it's, uh, it's, it's great to discuss this. It's true. And here in Australia, um, uh, MRI has certainly become a standard of care for patients mm. uh, with suspicion, suspicion of prostate cancer. We've very much followed the precision promise type paradigm. We've talked about MRI a lot uh, on the podcast. And here in Australia, MRI is... Uh, reimbursed in this indication so yeah. there are no barriers so therefore for the last four or five years patients with a suspicion of prostate cancer have all had an MRI uh, prior to a consideration of a biopsy and very often they don't have a biopsy if there are yeah. no red flags. Yeah and I think it, like you said it's become standard of care and with the combination of MRI and transperineal biopsies we've really streamlined that approach of diagnosing prostate cancer. But Daniel, MRI is yes. not perfect, is it? So, the, so, and we all know that, and you can see that around the world because, uh, despite high quality data like Precision and other papers showing the value of MRI for identifying lesions and targeting, um, it's not perfect, is it? 
No, absolutely. But I feel in Australia we have really embraced this imaging um, as much as any country in the world. As you say, we have the reimbursement for it. We've very rapidly adopted and utilised it for all patients suspected of prostate cancer or on surveillance for prostate cancer. But in doing so, we do realise that a few slip through the the cracks. It's not perfect. There are somewhere around the one in five mark where the cancers, for whatever reason, are MRI negative or we have these rising PSAs and negative biopsies and negative MRIs and we're still scratching our heads wondering. And so we're looking at field saying, what's next? How can we make our diagnostic process or surveillance process even better and um, enter primary? Enter primary, and there is the great segue, isn't it? So, um, and of course, here in Australia, we have huge enthusiasm for PSMA PET. We've had widespread access to this as well, haven't we, for the past seven years, really? And we've published a lot of data about PSMA PET, but predominantly in either in the staging situation, either staging newly diagnosed high risk or unfavorable intermediate risk, or for biochemical recurrence, or indeed for the evaluation of metastatic patients, especially as they progress. Uh, but what about early detection, Louise? So, over to you. Tell us about the, the primary study. Right, so, well, firstly, the primary study was a great collaboration between, um, you know, three three cities in Australia. So, um, immensely grateful to everyone who was involved, and it's a it's a it's a prospective multi centre um, imaging trial essentially, where we took patients who uh, who were having an MRI, and they had suspected um, uh, prostate cancer. They, we know we knew they were going to be going for radical prostatectomy, and we slotted a PSMA PET in there. And, and I guess the question was, why why would we do that? Um, we've just done a pilot study. PSMA itself is very interesting. The, the receptor is interesting. It actually gets uh, more receptor on the cell uh, with the more aggressive cancers. So for me, uh, something that we'd done earlier was, can you differentiate pattern three disease on histopathology from pattern four? And a small pilot that we'd done uh, in 56 men showed that you could actually really nicely differentiate pattern three from pattern four with um, uh, PSMA. So then the next question, obviously, was could we use that in the diagnostic setting to improve diagnosis and pick up those patients who had um, MRI negative disease and find out if it was positive? And could we actually detect more disease on those patients who had four or five or what, how was it valuable? So that's really the whole tenet of primary. So uh, we slotted a pelvic only. We didn't do a whole body on these patients because they didn't need the radiation dose. They hadn't yet been diagnosed with prostate cancer. So it gave a very low dose radiation. It was less than four millisieverts to these patients. Um, And we just slotted that in between the MRI and the biopsy uh, for 291 patients, essentially. So very, very simple trial. um, And it went very, very smoothly. And, and I think the findings were, were very interesting. So yeah. these are men, they're biopsy naive. Uh, they just have a little bit of suspicion of prostate cancer. Uh, and I think it's important to say that a little, uh, unlike precision and studies like that, Dan, these were patients that had still a, a, a persisting clinical suspicion. Okay, some of them had pyrids, four or five lesions were going to have a biopsy, but it also included like pyrids, two, three patients who had a bit of a red flag. There's a reason why they were scheduled for a biopsy. So the, the inclusion criteria was had an MRI, but definitely were having a biopsy. So, the, you know, the, the 68-year-old guy with the PSA of 4 and a Pyrads 2 lesion is not in this study. Uh, but the one who's got a high, you know, PSA density is worrying or a younger patient and, and factors like this. That's right. So it included those patients in whom the MRI had suggested there was prostate cancer present, but it also included those patients in whom the MRI looked okay, but there was a concerning feature. There was a red flag, as you say, a family history, a rising PSA, something palpable. And um, what it gave as a clinician, it meant that 
we then went to a biopsy with both a PET scan map of any hotspots or abnormality within the prostate and an MR map. And we, we felt really very spoilt to be able to do that and target quite precisely any areas of abnormality on both MR and PET. And the findings, as Louise will expand upon, were really interesting because we had a whole mix of patients in whom the MRI and the PET both found clearly an abnormality. We had patients where the MRI was positive but the PET scan didn't pick it up and vice versa. So it seemed that if a patient had cancer, one of those modalities would definitely pick it up. And what that meant on the flip side was that if you had patients that were both MR negative and PET negative, then the chance of cancer being found was exceptionally low. And that leads us to the next iteration of this study, which um, we'll go on to, which is uh, primary two. But um, let's uh, be interested to hear Louise's summary of our findings. Yeah, so let's, let's hear about the results then. What, what, what was the additive value of uh, PSMA PET for this uh, population? Well, our primary endpoint was negative predictive value. Um, and with MRI, our negative predictive value was 72%. When we looked at PSMA on its own, it was 80%. And when we looked at the two together, it was 91%. Um, so we had this significant, very significant improvement in negative predictive value. And similarly with um, sensitivity. MRI sensitivity, 83%. Uh, PSMA sensitivity, 90%. But when we put the two together, we got to 97%. Uh, sensitivity. So that meant that there were just a very few men in whom significant malignancy was not detected. So that was 3% for um, for uh, the combination of PSMA plus MRI did not have their uh, significant malignancy as in a, an ISOP 2 or greater, uh, while 17% of men uh, were missed on MRI. So it was a significant improvement in detection of significant malignancy. In fact, what's interesting about the results is when I really, at the very beginning of this trial, uh, what I thought we were going to find was an improvement in positive predictive value. Uh, I thought positive predictive value was going to be so much better. And in fact, they were almost identical, no significant difference between the two. So um, great improvement in sensitivity. Uh, and that was really strongest when you looked at those patients who had, obviously those patients who had um, PIRADS2. Uh, and one of the things I think is a little bit unusual about this study was that the PIRADS2 patients had, had quite a high significant or uh, malignancy. 28% of them actually had significant malignancy, uh, which is a high percentage if you look at other studies. But that's because we'd really triaged these patients. Yeah. We hadn't included the low-risk um, PIRADS2s. We hadn't included PIRADS1s. Uh, so it was really PIRADS2s with high risk. And so that's why I think the study is really nice. Because, you know, those guys who do have those red flags, uh, who have a negative MRI uh, and you do a PSMA PET, the pickup rate was 90% for all significant malignancy in those groups. And similarly with the PIRADS3, you know, you might not have a target on a PIRADS3, but we had targets on the PSMA PET for biopsy. Um, and the pickup rate was also 90% in PIRADS3. Um, Louise, can I delve into that a little bit um, and just r remind people listening who may not be familiar with how PET scanning is working, basically it gives us, if you ever look at the radar map of the weather in Melbourne, it gives us the areas of high rainfall being red to the low rainfall being green and that's what we're looking at on a PET scan. I try to explain to patients and obviously in a prostate we're looking for that the, the thunderstorms and um, to show us where the nasty cancers are. But the point what I'm trying to get to is you had to really write the book again or, or decide what you felt was a significant lesion in a in a prostate. So on PET scanning, you had to decide what was positive because um, you, you have to draw a line 
at what we call the SUV max, which is how avid or bright something is lighting up on a PET scan, you, you had to decide what you call positive. And that was that was a big, uh, it's a, makes a big difference as to where you draw that line as to what your sensitivity and specificity of this study is. So um, it, explain how you how you came up upon the, the number that you used to call the positive scan. Yeah, uh, that was a, a, a really tricky part of this trial in the beginning because, of course, we didn't have any evidence on which we could base. We had done an ROC curve in our original study that showed a cutoff uh, of FC max that we could use. So we went a little bit below that, but we actually did an interim analysis in this study where we did an interim ROC curve analysis of um, the PETs, and that gave us the base uh, at which we should use. So that's where, and in fact, that has been very stable. Once we went from 100 patients to 300 patients, the ROC curve um, with an SCV max of four was what we used as the base. So we, you know, nuclear medicine physicians, we love to dial everything up and we, we call even, you know, minor wind disturbances. <laughs> so we had to, you know, be really firm with everyone. No, you're not allowed to call that. And we used a, an SCV max four as a cutoff and then patterns of activity um, beyond that. So that's, that's actually how we reported was through the interim analysis. And that was uh, in the end worked out an extremely, uh, good way of designing the trial. Uh, in some way, it, you know, it's interesting when you start these new modalities and you're trying to derive what you should call what's positive, what's negative. You're really picking something out of out of the air. Um, but th that's how we did it. We are going to expand on that further. Actually, uh, something that Pyrads does really well and that we don't do in PSMA PET is define the transitional zone and the peripheral zone. Um, and that's the next thing for us is can we on PSMA PET actually improve uh, our diagnostic capability even more by looking at uh, the regions of the prostate and, and, and whether we, we report by region as well as by intensity, which is not something that we did in, uh, in the primary trial. Okay, bunch of great stuff to talk about, and uh, just a comment on the transitions. I think I mean MRI just shows this beautifully in normally yeah. the the transitions on and peripherals on and all that. So I take home from this a um, couple of things. First of all, uh, we should always do a PSMA PET prior to a biopsy in all patients. <laughs> or number two, uh, maybe we should just replace um, yeah, PSMA. No more MRIs. No more MRIs. Just do PSMA PET. But we'll go to <laughs> Professor Padani, uh, in the, who's on the Pyrads committee among many of his other. He's waving his uh, hands. He's waving his hands furiously. I want to ask Anwar um, for your reaction on this. Uh, presume this is the way forward, just a pet for everybody or maybe drop the MR and just do pet. <laughs> <laughs> he was, there was a lot of eyebrow raising yeah, for those of you not listening uh, or not watching on YouTube. Uh, um, uh, but yeah, shoot Anwar and we, um, we're very interested in hearing your thoughts. No, I, I mean, I, I'd say I really like this study. Um, there's a few things, I mean, a few, few comments that I had and maybe I'll start with a question uh, for Louise. When you when you did the RSC curve and you picked the value four on your fifth, first fifty cases, which you said was very stable afterwards, was that to define? Was it just the optimal point of the RSC curve, or were you trying to maximize sensitivity or specificity? And that, you see, that could have altered some of your results. Yeah. So um, what we did, we actually got four before. Uh, the reason I chose four uh, was because the other levels were unacceptable. So we work in full, I, I don't like decimal points uh, when we come to SUV maxes, you have to work in whole numbers. And so we did three and the specificity of three was 11%, right? No, no. So then I did five. <laughs> the, spec the sensitivity of five was 75%. 
No. So then I did four and uh, sensitivity of uh, four had a 90 uh, a 92% uh, sensitivity and the specificity was 45% or similar. So it really so was like a natural a, fit. So like normal MRI, yes, the sensitivity is about 90%, specificity is about 50%. Yeah, very similar. And and so it was just unacceptable, any of the others, and then I refused to go to a decimal point because nuclear <laughs> medicine physicians don't like uh, intensity scores anyway. So to go to a decimal point on an intensity score would be laughable pseudoscience <laughs> yeah, Louise, so what, what else uh, Anwar let's I know Anwar's got a bunch right, of other so, things to so say that was so. the first thing. I mean, so I mean I, 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 I thought the limitations was actually a very interesting part of the paper because I think it, it kind of laid it out I mean when I looked at the at the you know I was looking at the negative predictive value for a pyrides too and I thought what it should be you know it should be 12%, mm. you know, sorry, 90%, the negative predictive value. And this was like, you know, uh, and there were lots of cancers, pirates too. But as you explained, you know, you enrich this population. Yeah. So, you know, it was a negative MRI, but it was a high clinical suspicion, high PSA density, family history, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's perfectly reasonable. But I think that the, the conclusion has to be predicated on, on that population. So, you know, to say, we will replace PSMA PET CT for all presenters, all presenters to MRI. I mean, it clearly that doesn't work. I mean, it might work, but it clearly doesn't work. Uh, the other, I mean, you know, as in passing, remember there's two roles of MRI here. One of the roles of MRI is to say there's the lesion, and the other one is to use the MRI diffusion biopsy, and then say there's the target, and there's a three millimeter lesion there, or there's the five millimeter lesion there. And you know clearly that that's not possible to do with a with a PET scan. But I mean, aside uh, aside from that, um, so one was the you know the higher risk prevalence in this population was fifty six percent. You know the the Cochrane analysis said it was about thirty percent. So it's much it it is almost one one point seven one point eight times what you would expect as a background population. But, you know, but with those caveats. But I think I think the the result is really interesting and it's collaborate and it's corroborated uh, rather by another study that's just been published in radiology, which seems to suggest that in fact the, the biggest role for this technique is going to be in the high risk negative MRIs, yes, and the uh, and the you know the intermediate risk um, pyrads three cases. Now, you know pyrads three cases. You know I just did a recent uh, literature survey. You know, uh, three, it's about, pyrides three occurs in around about 20% of people who present for the first time, right? So 20, that's one in five men who are presenting will have a pyrides three, okay? So these people are a real challenge. And if PSMA is going to get in there and help to triage that apart, that's great. Because actually that would be helpful because we actually need improvement in that area because, you know, the, the PPV is probably only 20% in that area. Um, so it, there it really helps. But there's competition, right? The competition is cheaper, right? Uh, PSA density, for example. That can help triage that Pyrex 3 case out. AI looks like it'll be quite useful. Whether AI will completely dissect it out, I, I'm I'm doubtful, but you know it's possible. 
you know, some other blood tests might do that, like the Stockholm 3 test, for example, has been shown to do that, you know, risk calculators, you know, an MDT review, a straightforward biopsy will do it, right? So those are all the other competitors for that PIRADS 3 spates. Um, so that's what PSMA is going to be up against. And then you're going to have to say, well, okay, then what is going to be the role of PSMA PET in, in that area? But I think it is there. Uh, but again, and I thought there were there were other patients in whom this test could really be very good. I thought, so, you know, the rising PSA on somebody who is by a, you know, who's a PIRADS 2, right? He's on, he's on a, he's on a safety net and his PSA continues to rise. Perfect. You know, there's a nice example. Or a PIRADS 4 and a 5 with a negative or non-explanatory biopsy. Perfect. You know, so I can think of, you know, four or five groups where the PSMA PET will really be very helpful. And mm. I really like you know, that figure you put in the appendix just to show the correlation between Gleason score and PSMA activity. I thought it was a great call. I, I thought that should have been right there in the middle of the paper, or you could have published mm. it in none of the paper. Aha, funny he says that, isn't it? <laughs> no. Look, fantastic comments, and we're a bunch to talk about there. So what about the Pirates 3s, Renu? Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? Because I think Anwar's honed in on exactly what us uh, urologists are, are interested in or concerns we have about an MRI uh, in these Pirates 3 patients. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, Anwar raised some very good points and and it's that the PSMA PET scan in this kind of setting can be very useful in certain groups of patients. You know, those patients who um, have kind of got those um, uh, high-risk features on MRI, um, you know, maybe in, in another setting you would avoid a biopsy in them. So with that combination of PSMA PET and MRI, you really increase the, the, the precision of, of diagnosis in, the, in these patients while avoiding unnecessary biopsies. Um, but also those patients where um, you really are not concerned enough to, to think about a biopsy based on their MRI, but maybe that PET scan will pick up something concerning so that we don't miss a clinically significant cancer. And that, that's the way clinical practice tends to be around here, Dan. It has been for a while, but some of those subgroups that Anwar mentioned, it's, it's going to be hard to design a big trial for that. So we sometimes say PSMA PET is for, can be useful for when something's not quite right. As yeah. he said, those classic examples yeah. of the rising PSA, maybe after a negative biopsy, blah, blah, blah. And we use it all the time, but we'll never have a trial to deal with that. But yeah. but the Pyrads 3s is a very big population, the two threes with a persistent clinical suspicion. So is that the... Is that where this is likely to go to, or is that where the next research will go? There are so many applications of this. And, you know, and I, I put in what, nearly 100 patients into this trial, so I feel like I've seen every permutation and combination of PET, MRI, and biopsy finding. Um, and there are so many possibilities here. Firstly, the thing about PIRADS 3 as well is that, I don't, and, and I may be able to comment on this further, but there's also a big variability between community MRIs and done in different centres by different radiologists, and a negative MRI may not be a negative MRI. And so part of this is also to, um, it's like a second opinion, if you like, on someone who you're not sure about the scan. As urologist, I can't pick up a... Uh, difficult to see lesion in a transition zone on MRI in uh, only one, you know, one of the diffusion images, for example. So having a PET scan that lights up something to say, yes, this is something to be worried about versus um, 
versus no, um, this patient could avoid a biopsy is really critical. And the next extrapolation of this is what about the men on active surveillance who have um, PSAs that are creeping up, their MRIs still pyrads too. They had a biopsy a year ago that was fine, but are we missing something? And a PET scan, if we can show that it gives you another opinion and another way to find cancer that other modalities may have missed, then that's another very big population that we could utilise this in. So the, the, uh, the enthusiasm. Side, one of the things I would say, yeah. so, sorry, one of the things I would say is that, you know, when you say a urologist can't pick up a subtle lesion in the transition zone, well, that is true. But, you know, an AI will probably... <laughs> Just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we came with and, a needle. You know, and, and I will show you, and I mean, as I said, uh, shortly I'm going to put something on YouTube that actually shows a bunch of Pilot 3 cases where the AI is actually showing these things. So... You know, and and, it, and there's a big red blob, and the, and that's that's not PSMA. That's just the AI saying, "Look." We here. We, we should do uh, a showdown at noon, Anwar. <laughs> <laughs> but but the but the important thing is that the best that an AI can do is be as good as a as a as an average radiologist. Remember that. So an AI is never going to be the top radiologist. The AI is, can only be as good as the best radiologist that, that there is. So it's like a radiologist in your pocket, but it doesn't give you that, you know, that 10% increase in AUC. Every single paper is showing that it decreases variability, but it doesn't give you that AUC that goes up by 0.1, you know, on your ROC curve. That's a step change. And for a step change, I think PSMA PET will do that in the Pyrides 3 cases. And that brings up that curve on the left-hand side. To enough... And that's why I think it's really useful. And and to enough certainty that those men who have a pyrads 3 and a negative PET don't need to have a biopsy? Well, I would have thought so. I mean, looking at this data... So that's really interesting because, mm. uh, of course, Louise, that's, uh, you know, this is a this is a big population. OK, they all had a clinical suspicion. So there's a bit of enrichment in there. Um, but I was kidding, obviously, when I said clearly all, all of these this population should have a PET scan. So so where do you go forward? What's what are going to be the next steps in exploring the value of PSMA PET um, in this uh, early detection population? Because I think we'd all agree you've shown there's going to be some value somewhere that that's I think what Amor has been coning down on. So so what's next? Me? Yeah. You, Louise. Oh, yeah. So, look, I do. I think I completely agree with Anwar. I think that the high-risk twos and the pyreds threes are the group that we really highlighted where you get the best uh, bang in terms of improved uh, detection and improved accuracy. And and I definitely think that's the place where we should hone down. And, um, well, we are, aren't we, Declan? Is that is that what we're yeah. doing? Yeah, well, that's what I was hoping you and Dan can have a talk about. So what, where you're going next, yeah. uh, you're, well, actually, you're about we, to we, open. As we can talk about primary two. Yep. Uh, and so, so uh, Anwar, what happened was, you know, once we got all this data, it's like, what can we do with this? How is it really useful? And we had a very intense conversation um, over a series of months of, with, with the multidisciplinary team about how we should do this. And in the end, we have honed down into the high-risk PIRADS 2s and the PIRADS 3s. And we're starting a randomised trial looking at um, PSMA MRI versus MRI alone uh, in in that group to see whether we've got good value add. And then we've taken it one slightly uh, more scary step further, which is to do just targeted biopsy in the PSMA MRI group versus template biopsy in the MRI targeted group as a non-inferiority trial. 
uh, with primary endpoint being non-inferiority and reduction in biopsy. So if a patient does have an SUMAX less than four uh, on the PSMA MRI um, arm, they don't get biopsy. So we estimated that was 38% of the PIREDS 2s, 3s on our trial um, would not require a biopsy. And that's that's the plan in the in the primary two trial. So I think at this stage, the power calculation is for 660 men to be randomized. Um, and half of those men will get a pelvic PSMA PET with targeted biopsy. And then, um, so it's both to, in, in, so remember, and it'll be very spe- specified. Unlike this, it was clinical hunch for who goes into the trial. With this, it's going to be pre-specified risk features. So it's not just a straightforward PIRES 2, 3. There's a clinical suspicion based on a number of parameters like PSA density and so on. Yep. And th- so if I understand then the two aims we have are, number one, um, you'll find hopefully many of these lesions that are not well characterized on the PIRES 2, 3, you'll have a lesion. But second, you know, if there's nothing... So it's kind of like almost a double negative scan. It's a de-escalation trial, essentially, because they don't get a biopsy. Yeah. So you'll decrease the clinical insignificance and so on. This trial is really exciting because we're putting the money where our mouth is when we're talking about the benefits of PET scanning and picking exactly that population that Anwar immediately honed in on. So as, if this plays out as we expect it to, in the group that you, we think there's a suspicion, it's PSA density, rising PSA, family history, something is not right, that there's a suspicion of cancer, but the MRI has given us a negative or equivocal value. The addition of a PET, if it plays out as we think it will, will reduce the number of men who need biopsies because if a PET and MRI are negative, we're confident enough to say they don't need a biopsy. It will reduce the number of biopsies those men who are biopsied get because we're just doing targeted not template biopsies, and therefore we should pick up the same amount of significant cancer. But the third um, benefit is that because we're not doing template biopsies on all these men, we will have less diagnosis of what we would call the clinically insignificant cancers. So that low-grade, low-risk prostate cancer that we really don't want to... It's not a threat. We don't want to find it. It often causes a lot of uh, anxiety, harm, over... Um, over investigation that should be reduced and so they're really the three big endpoints we're looking at um, in this trial and we're very excited to roll it out in the next few months I hope. Yeah what do you think Omar is that a sensible way to go forward? Yeah I mean that's right I, I mean I think that's a really good idea so we know for example if you're a PIRADS2 with a PSA density of 0.2 and above 20% will have clinically significant cancer so if you can reduce template biopsies in that group you know, by half, you know, that's, 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 I mean, I can provide you the figures to know what that will be. We know that if you have a PIRADS 3 and your PSA density is greater than 0.1, 70% don't have a clinically significant cancer. We've got the data on that. So if you can reduce that lot by a half, you know, that is a win. Yeah. But that's a win-win. So that's the exactly the same group. But I was just thinking, you know, there's this group of patients with pirates four and five yeah. <laughs> who have a negative or non-explanatory right. histology. Now, I don't know if you can roll that into this. I, I probably not. That might need a separate trial. Um, the, the other group that you might want to think about it, are these people who you're surveying. You know, you send them off into the community and then they come back and their PSA is going up, you know, and maybe, I mean, I guess they will roll into this trial uh, because they've had a rise in, P- in PSA in the community. Uh, I, I guess they, they could easily go into this particular trial as well. What about, do you think, if you had a patient, the Pyrodes 4 or 5 group, who had a strongly positive PET, do you think they need a biopsy? 
tough oh, one. Yes. <laughs> the, issue, the issue is always the tissue. I, I mean, I know, I know. I read in the in the paper that you know if there's a hundred percent specificity, right? If you you know if you have a double positive, but you know there's a difference between you know uh, grade group three and a grade group five. Yes, I mean even in terms of prognosis, you know we know that, right? So. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, they have cancer, but you know, how long have I got to live, Doc? You know, when that question comes up, you're going to go, well, I don't know, I never biopsied you, so that'll be an issue. Well, it's yeah. it, it's yeah. it's funny you say that, you know. And we've talked. There's a separate piece coming talking about the double positives and posing that question. Gosh, could you could you possibly avoid a biopsy and go straight to treatment? And I was on a webinar with some friends in China the other night, as you often do, talking about these things. I was presenting on this topic, and um, I was asked that question. I was asked a question exactly like this: How many radical prostatectomies have you done on the patients who were double positive? And I said, Well, no, no, obviously, but it's a very interesting topic, and we're going to write about it. He said, Oh, I've done thirty-two. <laughs> Professor Young and Chen Jin, and they have a paper about to go in, you know. Yeah, I've done 32. And what were the results? We'll see. Yeah, I guess. Yes, but Anmar, we've been taking kidneys out on the strength of MRIs, oh, sorry, CT scans for years. And at least one in four up to to one in eight, even large tumours or oncocytomas or benign. We take testicular cancers out on the strength of an ultrasound alone. He's speechless. (laughs) It's, hard to, it's always hard to draw the parallels because yeah, prostate cancer is so controversial. Yeah, the over-treatment right. and also yeah, nerve sparing or focal treatment, there's all sorts of And we don't do active surveillance for those other cancers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Louise, can I ask, um, primary was really in the early diagnosis setting. What a, I mean, because you alluded to the fact that PSMA, PET, has the ability maybe to distinguish between aggressive and non-aggressive cancers. What do you think its role would be in, in an active surveillance setting going forward? So look, I think it's definitely got a role in active surveillance because it's it's that transition from three to four that I think it's actually tracking, and it's also volume. So increased volume, uh, you can you can track that too. I do think though that um, you, you need to be able to watch the change, just like you do with MR. Um, mm. It's the change probably that's going to be important in active surveillance, not just a single time point. Because while we were very good at looking at clinically significant prostate cancer on um, primary trial, we I'm not sure that we can we can differentiate between uh, high volume and low volume. But can we get that very subtle gradations just with one PET scan? So you know I think it'd be very interesting to see what happens in active surveillance. Uh, and I do think that there are some patients in active surveillance who struggle, uh, you know, with MRI struggling. Uh, and so uh, once again, I think it will have a role. We need to define what that is. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and but for a lot of listeners out there, Dan, you know, this this is all madness. This is the madness of <laughs> unfettered access to PSMA PET. Remembering, and many listeners out there uh, are, are will be saying, "Well, this is a seven thousand dollar scan that I can't get," and, and don't mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. You're you, just because you have re- easy access and you yeah. have, um, you know, affordable PET. Uh, you know, it, we, we'll do these academic studies, but it might not change practice ever. But I think the mm-hmm. primary two study is very interesting because out there, a lot of people will still do a prostate biopsy for the pyrides 2, 3 and find the insignificant cancer, maybe find the odd significant one. And that's why there's a, quite a bit of pushback, especially in the US still, on using uh, how much faith we put in MR. Mm-hmm. So I think that primary two will be, yeah. may have what more widespread applicability than all the other stuff we do here because we have such access to PET. I think for that reason we have the responsibility to validate this scan because at the moment it is being done really um, ad hoc at, with no a lot of no proper algorithm or science behind it at times. So uh, we have the perfect opportunity to 
test how good it is and put it in the right setting and show where it's um, best used. Fantastic. But I think that's important, you know, because if, if you're talking, I mean, we are lucky enough to have such liberal access to PSMA PET, but if you're talking to a, a department that has to be very selective about doing PSMA PET, but can still get access to PSMA PET based on this trial, who would you recommend gets it? At the moment? At the moment. Yeah, in finishing up, Louise, is there any point doing a PSMA PET in a Pyrads 4 5? And why? I would say biochemical recurrence would be great for that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I do mean in the early diagnosis. A whole other podcast. No question about biochemical recurrence and, and since the pro PSMA study, no question about staging yes. um, for prostate cancer. Um, look, I, I do think the Pyrads 2 3, uh, it's uh, you're high risk, uh, you're worried, the MR's negative, you don't know where to target it. Yeah. It's lovely. And, and, and obviously, Primature will prove that. I also think that if we've got more certainty in the Pyrids 4-5 and we can improve diagnosis in the 2-3, you know, uh, where does this leave Pyrids? And in the future, maybe we can uh, incorporate, we need to incorporate somehow PSMA into Pyrids in a way uh, that, that helps us know how to use it too. So if you're feeling uncertainty after an MRI, get a PSMA PET. So look, congratulations again, Louise, and all the collaborators on this yeah. study. Dan, you were the biggest recruiter, and we put a lot of patients in here. And a final comment on that, you know, because all these patients obviously had two scans, um, and they found the PET scan really easy on where, you know, because here we, we do multi-parametric MRI with sagittals, and it's like 34 minutes in the scanner a lot of the time, versus quick 10 minutes in and out of a PET CT. So <laughs> when they compared, yeah. like, like, my patients loved it, I must say. Declan, it was three minutes. <laughs> three minutes. <laughs> three minutes in the scanner. One bed yeah. stop. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's hard to argue against. I had a little bit, tiny bit of radiation, but three minutes scan. Oh, that's the way I'll be having mine. I've had my MR of my prostate course already, but when I'm due my next one, I'm going to have a three minute PET scan as well, I think, Dan. So congratulations. And, and the next way forward, I think, um, is very interesting and exciting indeed. And, and we really look forward to that. Um, and Anwar, thanks very much for all your um, valuable input on this. And we should, again, we will put in the show notes links out to Anwar's YouTube channel, which he very generously puts these amazing presentations up there very regularly. We'll, we'll tweet it out um, with the link to this program. Um, and we love, we, we consume yours uh, very regularly. They're totally fantastic. And also a shout out to uh, the International Cancer Imaging Society, ICIS. We'll put a link in there as well, who uh, you're a trustee and you've been past chair, I think, of that board. But they are very, very interested in this topic, imaging in cancer. And uh, clearly they look across all modalities, conventional and nuke med. So ICIS, another great resource. And we'll put out links to that. Uh, that's all we have time for today, Renew. That was that fun. That was a great it? chat. Yeah, yeah, it is. PSMA Pet never fails to disappoint. <laughs> and uh, thank you very much, Dan, for coming in and joining us today. It was a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Fantastic. And that's all we've got time for here from uh, myself and Renew. Um, lovely to chat to you all again. Please send us your comments. Anything else you want us to talk about? We're always very happy to hear that, aren't we, Absolutely. Renew? Absolutely. Fantastic. We wish you all See the very best. Time. Thanks to Dan. Thanks to Louise. Thanks to Anwar. And we'll talk to you all again soon. Thank you. Thank you.